What's up, everybody? This is DJ for show, and welcome to the Mission Sippy Podcast. Today we head to Tupelo, Mississippi, the birthplace of Elvis Presley, to talk to my good friend, Miss Veronica Lopez. Uh, Veronica um, has worked for the Diocese of Jackson as the director of Hispanic Young Adults. Um, she has also written online blogs for the Catholic Youth Program Life Team. Uh, she graduated with a master's from Boston College. And she attends St. James Catholic Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, Veronica has done a lot of great things for um, not just the Hispanic Church in Mississippi, but just for um, just the Catholic Church in general. And uh, we're just so thankful to have her on the podcast today. So without further ado, we welcome Miss Veronica Lopez. All right, everybody, uh, welcome to the Mission Sippy podcast, and I'd like to welcome Miss Veronica Lopez to the show. Welcome, Veronica, to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Derek. So, uh, Veronica, um, first off, I know we met um, a couple, I believe it was a couple years ago, and you invited me to a uh, Hispanic retreat that you put on at Locus Benedictus. And, um, I just like to say that, you know, that was the first time I ever went on a retreat that wasn't English. And, uh, and so, uh, but the coolest thing for me was, uh, that you invited me and that, uh, a lot of the people there, a few of, well, most of them, I believe spoke English and Spanish. So I had kind of like my own little translation crew that kind of helped me through the retreat. And, uh, I just, you know, have to really say just that really uh, touched me to really see the Catholic Church, you know, on a universal level and to see just the culture and uh, how like me as, you know, just growing up in America and, you know, my heritage is, is French heritage and just kind of seeing the Catholic Church from a different perspective. So with that being said, I know that at that time that you invited me, you were working for the Diocese of Jackson um, and putting on young adult retreats and stuff like that. Could you kind of tell me about that experience and when you when you worked for the diocese and what exactly did you do um, in those couple years that you worked for them? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that um, I think, you know, with what you just said, that invitation, I think that's all it really takes um, for everyone, just an invitation. Um, that's what Jesus does. He invites us to know him more personally and when I invited you I had you know I knew about you because father Michael McKendrew whom I miss dearly uh he's not longer in our diocese he told me you know I know this guy and he's really eager to work with youth and, and, and young adults and why don't you invite him I was like perfect so yes I started um working for the diocese in 2015, and I the the position that I was in that I was coordinating was um, uh, Hispanic youth Hispanic young adult ministry. It was a newly created position for the diocese, uh, 
He had never ex- existed before. It was it was newly created, and so everything that I did and everything that we did in in, in the ministry, like together with uh, Brother Ted and and both sisters uh, Maria Elena and Josefina, it was new. It was from scratch. We actually created together. Um, we created a um, a pastoral plan. I worked on it mostly, and they looked looked over my my plan, and you know we went from there. So it was a lot of you know it was a learning experience because it was the first time that we did something such this in Mississippi. Uh, there was no um, Hispanic youth and or much less young adult ministry, and young adult meaning you know over the age of eighteen years old. Um, and so first I started to recognize where all these, uh, young adults were in the different parishes all over the diocese and who were they, what were they doing? Were they involved in their parish, um, activities? Were they not, um, I communicated, I try to communicate with most of the, the pastors, at the different parishes to get to know their community, to get to know their people and mostly to inquire about, you know, their, their young adults and if they had any, uh, you know, any young adults in their parish. Um, I was not working with youth at the time. I wish that I had that opportunity um, because I think it would have been uh, more, I think it would have had a greater impact because in our Hispanic um, community, in our Hispanic culture, really, we don't really separate youth and young adults um, for some events. Uh, and so it was harder for me to say there was a sibling who had, there's an 18-year-old and there's, I don't know, 17 and 16-year-old sibling. And they can come to a specific event that I organized, like for the entire family or whatever, because they were younger yeah. or because they were below the age of 18. So that was, to me, that was the hardest part um, because it, it was very frustrating. I, I had to explain that to, you know, my young adults and their families. And it was it was it was difficult. It really put a lot of obstacles in my ministry. Um, so I, a lot of the things that we did was like you, you said, the first invitation was for them to have a personal encounter with God, with, with Christ. And so I did a lot of retreats. Um, uh, we put up, I put up a lot of, uh, uh, like formation workshops and we, I had kind of these three main pillars in my ministry, which were formation, spirituality, and service. Um, and recreation that's kind of like goes along with a, a little bit of this the the formation um, because it is important it was I realized that it was important for me to meet them where they are so if they were playing soccer if they were playing volleyball then that's what I would do to get them to you know to get involved um, so I was in the diocese I was working for the diocese for three years um, my last day was August 6th 2018. Um, and during that time, the main goal was to form um, parish Hispanic young adult groups in each parish, in each parish of the diocese, as many as possible. I think we created about, I think eight or 
seven. That's good. Um, in different parishes. Um, and of course they needed to have the support of their pastor to continue with the mission. Um, and sometimes that was very difficult, very yeah. hard. And not all of the groups survived after I, I no longer was working for the diocese. Only two, three remained. Um, one ended up uh, dissolving completely. Uh, actually, four remained, but then two. One um, in one parish. Everybody just started scouting. You know, like, everybody was getting older, and people got married. They fell in love, got married, had kids. Others moved out of the, you know, the, the city uh, for job opportunities or whatever. And so... Th- there was nothing keeping them together anymore. And I was in there to kind of pull them together again. Yeah. And the same thing happened with this other uh, parish, uh, Hispanic young adult group in this other parish, same thing. And um, they just didn't find as much support anymore with their pastor when I was in there anymore, like leading yeah. the whole thing. Um, but I am really, really happy and beyond just beyond grateful that, my ministry at least bore some fruit. Yeah. Um, and, and that there's still two, um, one, I'm sorry, one uh, group. There's two parishes, but they formed only one group. Um, and that continues. And they continue to be very active in their parish. Actually, all of the young adults that I work with, or that I met throughout, you know, three years, they are still active wherever they are in their parishes. They continue to be, I don't know, lectors or uh, Eucharistic ministers. They help in youth ministry or they help, um, they volunteer in whichever way. Um, they're still active. They're still there. They didn't just disappear. And this other group that continues to be very active, they continue to do, um, they, they continue to, every year, um, this out these um, Pastoral Institute, which for short it's called CEPI, uh, which is located in, in, in Miami, Florida. They have this workshop once a year in which they work in creating, writing a book themselves, all youth from the Southeast. So I was involved in that when I first started in ministry, actually before I even started working for the diocese. And I loved it because I loved the whole process, um, which talked about Lent all throughout um, Easter. Uh, I mean, you can use it throughout the whole year, but it was specifically a Lenten book um, to help, you know, all these young adults journey their Lent, um, their Lenten season and, and you know, just kind of become a new person when Easter came. And the book has uh, many resources. I think that I, I think, I think I shared this with you, right? When, when we met. Yeah. yeah I, I actually it. believe yeah. you gave me like a copy. I think I still, yeah. I think I still have the book in my office actually. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's bilingual. And this book, the, 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 uh, this group continues to be involved in that. They continue to attend the workshops, which are, or can be anywhere in the, di- in the Southeast diocese, um, dioceses and um, the next one is actually going to be in our diocese the next workshop and I think it's going to be in November so I told them that I'm super super excited that I am more than I'll be there and I'm more than willing to help them they called me to see if I could help with the organization logistics just be there because we've done it before we did it actually this was the first time when I was in ministry for the diocese the workshop 
I brought the workshop and more than 100 uh, young adults from all over the southeast uh, of Mississippi, of the United States, I'm sorry, to our diocese. Uh, we had this workshop in um, in Tupelo at St. James, and it was just a wonderful experience. Everybody loved it so much that, I mean, this group that I was telling you about in this parish, they continue to be active and they continue to be part of this book. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's just, I am so grateful, and, and that just makes me uh, just really happy and, and, and really grateful to know that, you know, all those years of ministry paid off and, and, and fruits are bearing. Now, now, Veronica, uh, going back to you, you had a point about um, kind of just Hispanic ministry, like you said, with pastors and stuff. Because uh, I've I've kind of seen that uh, around the diocese and around Louisiana as well. Um, when I grew up down there, uh, I feel like a lot of the time English speaking pastors are really kind of like afraid to get out of their comfort zone. Um, like they, they they go to the seminary, um, and I'm not even just talking about pastors. I'm talking about just like anybody who is a Christian, whether you're Catholic or whatever faith you background you come from. Um, that you think, oh well, I I speak English, I don't speak Spanish, and so there's no way at all that I can connect, you know, with Hispanic speaking people in my community. Um, I know that kind of a myth that. I thought for a while, and then um, with you inviting me over to your event and also being around the Redemptorists, as you said, who were here in, in uh, the Mississippi Delta, um, I kind of learned that that's, that's false, that that's not true. Um, you know, what do you think are some ways that maybe like people who are listening, who are English-speaking people, um, even if they don't like necessarily know Spanish, what are some ways you think that they could reach out to their Hispanic brothers and sisters in their community? Well, that's a great question, and I think it's one that um, we must ask in today's um, world. I mean, we live in a society where you can't just you know, be in your own little world because we've realized, especially now through this crisis that we are living, that we are all in the same boat in different ways and we all live it in a different way, but we are all in this together. Yeah. And and we are the same. God loves us all the same way, um, infinitely and unconditionally. And so I think one important thing is to realize that we are all created equal in the, you know, in the image of God. And so one thing, like more practically, more practical ways of approaching the Hispanic um, Latino community would be to what you did, um, just approach them. Um, I, I, one of the words that I really love about, you know, in ministry that I learned about is accompaniment. And what does that really mean? It doesn't really mean just being but it means being there with your whole self, like really trying to be in that person's shoes, um, you know, wanting to know about their lives, their their story. You know, everybody has a story, you know, and the greatest and the greatest story that we all share together and the greatest story ever told is the story of Jesus. So that's something that brings us together. Um, and so that's something that we could use to come together together. Um, you know, being invited to different events. Like if someone invites you, 
they really want you to be there. Yeah. Um, they really care. They want you to be there. So approach your community, you know, just be kind, be compassionate, um, listen to their stories. A lot of the people that live, most of the Hispanic and Latino community, most of them, not everyone, but most people that live in Mississippi that are Hispanic or Latino, um, they come from different backgrounds, but at the same time, very similar backgrounds um, in which, you know, for example, the young adults that I met throughout my ministry with the diocese, they were mostly here on their own. Yeah. Uh, they came to the United States on their own. They're supporting families back where, you know, their families are from. Um, they are working full time. Some are going to school full time as well. Uh, others do have their own families, but, you know, the way they live their family life, it's different from what, you know, the Anglo community uh, family unity is like. And I know because I'm both, you know, I am Mexican-American. I'm, I became a naturalized U.S. citizen when I was, I don't know, I came to the U.S. when I was 12 years old due to my dad's job. So we all have a different story. Um you know, I've, I've lived in the United States way more than half of my life. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm perfectly and completely um, just in both cultures, you know, that's yeah. where I'm from. And, and everybody has a story to tell. And I think it's important to listen and to, to accompany people. Like everybody wants to be accompanied. Everybody wants to. You know, we were not created to be alone. And I think everybody wants to someone, you know, you can listen to someone who listens to you and and, and just be there. And then from there, just start, you know, noticing, OK, um, if you want to get more involved in parish or if you want in your parish or in your community, like what can you do to, you know, to bring about change if that is not happening in your parish. If, yeah. uh, you know, what can you do? Like, be be an advocate for, you know, for the mo- for the needed. But in this case, we're talking about the Hispanic Latino community. Well, be, be an advocate for, you know, for all of us coming together and respecting, you know, everyone, everyone's own way of yeah. living their faith. Yeah. That's kind of what I would say. Now, uh, obviously, uh, Veronica, we both know and everybody listening should know that uh, for a long time in America's history, uh, we've had a crisis of um, the immigration system and uh, there's people on both sides of the spectrum on how do you handle immigration and different things like that. And I've Uh worked with, uh, worked alongside, uh, got to know the, the Redemptorist missionaries in Greenwood that were here and I'm gonna tell you that when I first moved to Greenwood um I didn't really know particularly you know what was kind of like my mindset in regards to immigration and then these priests who you know Father Mike and they just have such an expertise like I remember going to daily mass at Locust Benedictus Retreat Center where they they lived and they would say mass out there and we would like talk like for an hour after daily mass and he would just pour information into me, like things I've never heard of in my life, like just pouring and pouring and pouring. And I became so interested that we just sit and like talk, you know, after daily mass. And, um, so kind of to, between that, between the information I received, but also seeing firsthand in Greenwood 
seeing firsthand families that were deported and seeing firsthand some of my youth in my youth group that I know for a fact out of fear, you know, when they went to renew their, their DACA papers or, you know, all the things that they needed to do to, you know, stay in this country. Um, my heart really grew for the Hispanic community and also for just anybody from any country that really wants to live in America that are doing everything the right way and um, and are especially children who, you know, by no fault of their own came here because their parents wanted to give them a better life. Um, and obviously with ice, the ice raids in Mississippi that have recently happened and all the things that are going on, um, what would you say to anybody right now who's listening, who, um, maybe just kind of made up their mind, you know, that, uh, you know, well, somebody, they, they would say that's, you know, somebody's illegal or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, because for me, for me as an American, like it wasn't really until I opened my ears and really saw what was going on to when I really understood it better and really a hundred percent changed my viewpoint on how immigration should be handled because everybody, like you said, everybody's created in the image of God. And if you even look in the Bible at, you know, Mary and Joseph fled with baby Jesus Jesus to Egypt, I mean if you look into the Bible at immigration um, and how people in the Bible crossed borders and crossed into towns and crossed into different countries and stuff, um, you know, that should be modeled today. I mean, it should be. So what would you really say, I guess, Veronica, to somebody who is like, okay, you know, I want to, I want to learn more about this. I want to learn, you know, how can I help my Hispanic brothers and sisters that, um, that honestly, a lot of them, uh, need it. You know, they need support. They need help. What would you say to those people? Well, that's that's a big question. And I think it's if if we lived in a perfect world, if we still lived in paradise, this wouldn't be happening. You yeah. Know? If we lived in a perfect world, people would just love each other, be compassionate to each other, understand each other, just to be with each other. But we don't. And... Because we do not, I think that's what what I was saying earlier about everybody's story. When you know someone personally, when you know their story, when you know their background, then it is no longer just an immigration issue. Yeah. It is no longer whatever is happening with the immigration laws or whatever, or however our government is dealing with it. It becomes personal because you know that person or because you know someone who is going through something very specific or you know the reasons for being here without proper documentation because they were escaping. Um, they were fleeing from someone who wanted to literally kill them yeah. or fleeing violence or starvation in their countries. And it is not their fault. It is not their fault that their government or their society uh, cannot feed them or will not feed them or cannot provide security and safety for them or their families or children. Like I cannot, I'm a mother and I cannot, for the love of God, cannot ever think of putting my child in danger if I didn't really need to get him to somewhere place or I didn't feel like I needed to 
leave, we'll go somewhere where, where I, where I knew he would be saved and he would be, you know, safe and sound. He could be fed and he could be, you know, grow up and have a wonderful childhood. So when I think of all these parents that have brought their children when they were like babies, I'm thinking, you know, some people may think, what, what an irresponsible parent. Like, how could you put your child in danger? Like, how could you even think of bringing your child across the border, you know, and through all those um, dangers that you put them through? But it's easy to judge. Yeah, It's so easy to judge and so easy because we don't have that experience because we haven't been through that experience, because we have a house, because we have food on our tables, we have a job, because we've never really suffered Christian persecution. Yeah. Um, or at least not you and me, I think. Not in that, like, yeah. really great level. You know what I mean? And so I think when you really understand what these parents go through, um, when you really understand a story, when it becomes personal, then you really understand that this is more about immigration laws this is more about being yes it's about being fair and, and and just but god is just and merciful at the same time yeah there those two things are not separate mercy and just and justice it's not separate from one another um they are not separate from one another they come together hand in hand and that's what god teaches us you know pope francis talks about this all the time being merciful being compassionate being kind we are all human beings we look different we think differently we eat differently but there's one thing that unites us there's one thing that will always be the same and that is God loves us all, no matter what, even the bad people, you know, he loves us all and he is merciful. So I think what I would say to everybody who's listening to us right now and has these questions about, okay, what is it really, what really is the way that uh, immigration laws should, you know, work? What is a fair, just way and compassionate way that the, that our immigration system could be fixed? And there are many answers to that. Yeah. You know, I'm not an expert, but um, but one thing that I think the first step is to look at these people, to look at their situation, not as a whole, not as a one size fits all, but as listen to their stories first. Listen to what they listen to the story that brought them here, why they are here. Everybody has a purpose in life and God has a mission for all of us. Well, why are they here? And, and look at everybody's story. Um, for example, I can't. Um, when I when my family and I moved to the United States, we came to the United States with our visa. You know, we became we had we had our U.S. residency. Then we became U.S. citizens because of my dad's job. But my situation in my life, it's completely different to what others go through and how, how, why they come here to the United States. Of course, that is not putting an excuse on all of those people that really make very bad mistakes and come to the United States or any other place in the world, really, to do bad. Okay, yeah. that, you know, I'm not, and I will never excuse that or them. Um, but one thing that I do know is that once you listen to their, to their story, it becomes personal to you. And then you look at the whole immigration system in a whole different way, just like what happened to you. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the number one thing. Um, and I think one thing, Veronica, bouncing off everything you just said, uh, for me, this coronavirus kind of puts things into perspective um, because 
I'm just going to say it as American people, uh, we live in a country where obviously, uh, we're free. Um, and, uh, I think the thing is we're very, we could become a very spoiled culture, um, where we just really expect, I mean, for people who grow up, you know, with everything really given to them, um, we could become a very spoiled culture and, so with the coronavirus, a lot of people, um, and I know a lot of people out there are suffering, suffering right now, losing their jobs um, and things like that. But I mean, the basic thing, like right now, most states were in a stay at home order. And I just, you know, I see on Facebook, a lot of people who are just like not wanting to do the stay at home order or they're mad, you know, at their governor because they extended it or whatever. And you have people in other countries like in Mexico who can't leave their house and they're scared and they're locking the doors, like you said, because somebody might come kill them or take their kid away from them. And, you know, like how blessed are we to be having a stay at home order where we're safe? And, uh, you know, I just, I think, I think that in America, in a way, our, this experience, if people really take in this experience, this could really be a life changer for a lot of us because we realize that we're vulnerable people, that at any time, anything can happen. You know, at any time, there can be a plague. At any time, there could be a natural disaster. At any time that, that we're not ever fully in control of our life, that we think we are, um, we think we're in America. We think that, oh, we're safe, or we think that maybe we're safer than any other country. But in all reality, in, in the blink of an eye, that could not be true at all. That could completely um, change, even for America. Um, and so to go into kind of our last part, Veronica, I know I've seen on Facebook that um, you do like, you've been doing like some live stream praying and things like that. Could you tell us a little bit about, um, what you're doing with that? Um, I know, I believe I saw y'all maybe doing the divine mercy chaplet recently on, on Facebook. What, what exactly are you doing with the live stream praying? Yeah. Um, so after I, um, left the diocese, I started getting involved with, I started working with different um, Catholic organizations, like national organizations, and then more local, um, just continue to be involved. And through that, I've met a lot of people. I met a lot of people in ministry before that. Um, but mostly when I was in ministry, I met a lot of ministry friends, artists, songwriters, and so this friend of mine who is um, a Catholic songwriter, his name is Ivan Diaz. He has this uh, Facebook page. Uh, I don't know if he created it before the, the you know, COVID-19 or it was during, you know, or it happened during this pandemic. Um, but he just one day, I, I don't know if you remember when Pope Francis invited us to pray the rosary with him. Yeah. Um, like, well, so that day I prayed the rosary on my Facebook. And then this friend, um, Ivan, he called me, he contacted me and he said, Hey, would you, would you be willing to, um, to do that in my, in my page and my Facebook page, um, to live stream it so that other people from all over the world, um, who are on this page can, you know, pray together. 
And so I was, you know, he invited me to do that. So I started doing that every day since March 20th, <laughs> March 19th. Um, and then I just started doing the Divine Mercy Chaplet. The page, uh, mostly everybody's um, Spanish, Spanish speaking. So I do it in Spanish. But um, on my Facebook page one day, on my Facebook profile, just one day I, with my son, just together, just realized that a lot of, you know, families have kids in their houses now. And that's, you know, they have distance learning. And so I figured... Well, this would be a good time for mom and dad or, you know, whichever is your family unit to pray together with your children as well. So I, you know, create my, my son and I did a prayer, a bilingual prayer. It was completely bilingual one day and a lot of people liked it and they said, oh, this was really good. Thank you for doing this. Can we do it more often? And so that's kind of what I've been doing, just live streaming the Divine Mercy Chaplet in Spanish on that web, on that Facebook page. Sometimes I do it on my own Facebook page. Um, and I just, I just thought about, you know, a way to keeping us together and praying together no matter where we are, what time zones, what, you know, state in the United States, even, out of the, in the, you know, in a different country. I have friends watching from, friends and family watching from um, Mexico and Colombia and these other countries. So, that is yeah, awesome. I just... That is awesome. Uh, and yeah. one thing for, for me and my family, Veronica, is uh, we're just very inspired by, well, by you and your family um, and, and just, like, the Hispanic culture as a whole. Um, one real cool thing real quick uh, is, uh, so we recently, you know, baptized our, our baby girl, Isabella, into the, into the Catholic Church, and uh, Isabella's godmother is my Aunt Sony, which I don't know if I told you this, but she actually uh, was born and raised in Costa Rica, and she moved here uh, when she was 16 years old and met my, my Uncle Scott, and they got married, um, and so, you know, we're able to always, like, uh, talk to her, and she, like, Every time she goes to Costa Rica, she brings back, like, some holy water. And there's, like, this cool story about how the Virgin Mary appeared in Costa Rica at this place. And, um, just, you know, the, just culturally, it's just really cool to hear about. And um, so she, she's the godmother of, of Isabella. And for us, like, that's really, like, important because, like, we want, like, our daughter and, like, God willing, if we ever have any future children, like, we want them to um, know the universal Christian church. And I don't think it's fair, um, for anybody, uh, whether you're Catholic or you're not, whatever Christian background you come from, um, to not learn fed the faith from other cultures, because if you learn the faith from other cultures, you're just so enriched. Like for us, like we really, like, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like sometimes I get like a little jealous of like, Hispanic culture that kind of sounds funny um but because like the, the the faith is so like rich because like you know you're taking you're taking a faith the catholic church and you're taking it from you know your you know where your your ancestors came from and you're bringing it to another country and so because you're in America it's like so much more like visible and so like it's so much more like lively because it's not just 
you know, some random American just going to church. It's like, you know, there's so much extra, like with the, I know like when we prayed the rosary that time at Locust Benedictus at the retreat, like we had like a full procession with like costumes and Hispanic culture and stuff like that. And so like for me, like my ancestors came from France and they were Catholic. And so like part of me is always like, I need to like learn more about like French Catholic traditions because like, you know, like I, I was never, um, you know, I've never really learned about that. Like, like my ancestors might have like these, you know, prayers and certain things that they did that like were supposed to be passed down throughout the generations. And, and then my ancestors just kind of became Americanized. And now, you know, here I am an American. So like the divide between like me and my French heritage is like completely like, not gonna say completely gone, but you know, it's because in Louisiana, you know, we have the good food and everything. But besides that, from a spiritual level, um, to kind of reconnect with that and to kind of like to learn because, I, you know, in order for us to really be Christian, I, I truly believe this. Um, you know, in the Bible, it says all the nations are going to come together. You know, we're all going to be in heaven to, yeah. together. And um I don't think it does it really justice for us to all just kind of be doing our individual thing on earth. And then all of a sudden we get to heaven together and then it's like everybody's together. And it's like, at that point, I'm wondering if God's going to be like, well, what, what took y'all so long? Like what took y'all so long to be together? Cause like y'all are going to be together for eternity together. So like you couldn't do this for like 80 years on earth you know, you couldn't just live in harmony for 80 years. Like now y'all have to do it forever, you know? And, uh, so really with, with that being said, uh, Veronica, I just want to thank you for, for coming on the show. And this is really random. Um, but at the end of every show, I ask this question just cause I'm interviewing people from different towns in Mississippi. And so I know you live in Tupelo, what is your favorite place to eat in Tupelo? I'm putting you on the spot. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me think. Uh, let's see. I really like Thai food, and so there's this place called Sao. Okay. In in Tupelo, S S A O. It's very small. Very just. I don't know. It just feels like. Like, really good place. If you just want to go eat and enjoy the time in the company, like, without all this noise around and all, go there. And, and the food is delicious, delicious. So, Sal is my favorite place to eat in Tupelo. Um, and thank you for asking that question because it was it was so random. But, <laughs> but, I, but, I th- but I think it's important because then people, you know, without knowing it, you're really, like, advertising other places and people when we can go out again. Like exactly. This. Exactly. We'll go out to eat at these places. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Veronica, thank you so much. Would you uh, like to close us out in a Spanish prayer? Sure, sure. Um, I'll pray. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for what you're doing. Um, I admire you, and I love your little family and what you are doing. Um, to be a testament of God's love and of God's mission here on earth. And so thank you for having me today. Um, and all right, I'll finish with the prayer in Spanish. En el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Amén. Señor, gracias por este día que hoy nos regalas. Gracias, Señor, porque tenemos salud, porque estamos sanos, salvos, porque nos proteges de todo peligro, 
de todo mal y del coronavirus. Gracias, Señor, porque Tú te haces presente en nuestra vida de muchas formas. Y hoy especialmente, Señor, me has llamado para hablarte, para ser Tu voz un poco. Te doy gracias, Señor, por mi familia. Te doy gracias por mi esposo, por mi hijo y por el resto de mi familia. Te doy gracias por todas las familias, por la familia de Derek, por su hija, por su esposa, por el ministerio que están guiando el día de hoy, el que está, lo que está haciendo. Y te pido, Señor, que nos protejas y que tengas infinita misericordia de cada uno de nosotros y del mundo entero. Y a ti, Madre Santa, cúbrenos con tu santísimo manto y protégenos de todo mal y de todo peligro. Especialmente te pido por la unidad de nuestras familias, la armonía, el perdón y la paz. Amén. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Veronica, for uh, coming on, and uh, we're praying for you and your family, and that God continues to guide you in all the great endeavors and adventure that He has for you already. Thank you so much. Thank you. I please know that I do keep all my friends, all my family, the whole world, in in, in my prayers, and and you're on that you're on that list. So thank you for praying for my family. I think that's one of the most wonderful things we can do now. Doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter, you know, how much you make, um, where you work. We are all in this together, and the best thing that we can do for each other is pray. So, so thank you for praying, and thank you for having me. Thank you, Veronica. This has been the Mission Sippy podcast. Uh, we pray that y'all continue to join us. And until next time, God bless.